You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Christopher Media, let's make some noise. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. People pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Billie Holiday was a global superstar, and she is the godmother of civil rights. What makes her life a phenomenal story is that she had the government against her because she wanted to sing Strange Fruit, which was a song about lynching, and they told her no. Black bodies It's a song about important things, you know, things that are going on in the country. Strange Fruit in the black community is almost like this battle cry. No one would allow us to speak on it. The only way to get into the hearts and living rooms of America was through song. It's really the story of her being one of the first freedom fighters because it was her singing that song unapologetically and defiantly that reinvigorated the civil rights movement, and that's what they hated her for. Southern trees. Get her off that stage. They're strange. After seeing Strange Fruit, you know, police would be shooting into her car as she's driving away. Anslinger was the director of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. He wanted to make an example out of her. No matter how hard he tries, she still gets up and she wins the hearts of the crowd. And this infuriates him. We've warned her to stop singing the song. If I don't sing it, who will? It showed that real resistance existed way back then. It was timely, still timely. And the NAACP says Billie Holiday is the voice of our people. I want people to walk away knowing that you can make a change. Because that's exactly what Billie Holiday did. Strange fruit hanging. You think I'm going to stop singing that song? Your grandkids will be singing strange fruit. From the poplar trees. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I am talking to Daniel Dorrance, who is the production designer of many a favorite film, including the recent film, The United States vs. Billie Holiday. Let's go ahead and play that interview. What spurred your interest in the motion pictures? Well, quite honestly, I didn't know the motion picture business was was accessible to me i i, didn't, I never really was around it or anything like that. i grew up in uh, the palm springs area and upon leaving here about age 19 i uh, moved to la thinking i was going to go into architecture and something like that a friend of mine uh, who i grew up with in this area had gotten a job at this place that built scenery for mainly commercials at the time and commercials in this in this time frame were huge you know they built the coors light bar and you know things like that so he said, uh, this is after me looking for a few jobs in L.A. And I'm talking any job, you know, in a mall, what have you. And my intention was to go to school. 
he said, you should, you should come down to this this place I'm working. You know, they're always looking for people and we're super busy, et cetera. So I did. And having gone down there, met with the uh, the, the owners. And one of them turned out to be Tom Sanders, who ended up being my sort of mentor later on as, you know, in, in uh, the art direction side of things, hired me. After coming into the shop and saying, oh, my God, what is this world? It just kind of played right into my alley, you know, and I hadn't learned how to draft in high school. So it kind of gave me a head start, putting to use in ways that, you know, suited my talents, et cetera. Um, I mean, I started as a runner, essentially, but then, you know, worked my way quickly into the drafting room if they found out I could do so. From there, I met art directors who would bring in jobs. It just kind of opened the whole world for me. I, I just I didn't really know much about it other than, you know, of course, love movies and TV and all that stuff growing up. But I didn't know it's something that I would ever do. And that's where it started, really. What's the difference between an art director and a production designer? I mean, ultimately, you know, you're the head of the department. So, you know, art director, you're sort of second in command. I mean, ultimately, it all comes down to the designer to make the decisions with the director, etc. And then, you know, as an art director, you're dealing a lot with budget. And, you know, this is sort of the crew underneath that, you know, in terms of hiring and things like that. So you're you're kind of more nuts and bolts, I suppose, as an art director, which is all sort of great training to become a designer. But, you know, not necessarily has to be that way, but uh, I think it's helpful. So that's what I did a lot of years until I, you know, started getting my own my own sort of design jobs. As a production designer, you're ahead of uh, the art department, which under that umbrella includes set decorating, props picture vehicles and construction you sort of manage all that and it's you know you're, you're the last in line essentially as a designer you know you're if, if there's trouble they're coming to you you know you really count on your your art director and your set decorator to um, you know make the show happen ultimately i mean prop master etc you get a new gig say something like the paperboy which has a fantastic look to it what's your process as far as coming up with the design of it how much do you work with other folks when it comes to getting your ideas together and then are you turning to the drafting table or are you creating mood boards what is that like for you it's it's a research thing you know paperboy was sort of had a period it was period um as was billy holiday so i i kind of hit that first to understand the, the sort of the subject the the, the time frame what was the feeling of that time? You know, the sort of the, the, the color hues and the palettes and, and uh, of the period. And then I kind of get into uh, it's sort of an evolving thing because, you know, initially you're starting with a script and just open canvas. And then you have to decide what location you're going to be shooting in. And usually that's a, dis- a, pr- a production decision with with tax incentives and dollars exchange exchanges and things like that. You know, so I, I research, build my mood boards. You know, that sort of depict each subject, as you said, kind of get into the palette of it. And then I start doing a little Photoshop. In most cases, if it's a location movie over a location picture, for instance, you know, for instance, in U.S. versus Billy Holiday, part of my research process, I found this great photo of uh, Times Square, like in the 40s. Was It was a black and white photo, but some artists out there on the Internet world colorized it, if you will, what they envisioned that time to be. And it just had the right feel. So what I did is I, I got a picture of Andra, put her in her fur coat, gave her an umbrella, and put her into that scene. And, you know, did a little bit of some atmosphere and things like that. And then I gave that to Lee. And he was like, oh, my God, that's it. That tells the story. of That's that's just what I was feeling in my head. That process kind of helps me, you know, like get into the director's head, see what he's thinking. 
and kind of go from there. And then we start rolling. So in that case, Lee loved that image so much is we end up finding a place for it in the movie. And it was when she's walking across the rainy sort of plaza of Times Square looking, you know, she's on a drug mission or something with her dog. That's fantastic because that's, you know, it's exactly what you hope to the response would be and uh, what you would learn and then carry forward, you know. On any movie, you start with the sort of the broad strokes and then you start getting into the location scouting process, which also you learn a lot from. You take those cues uh, along the way, like you found a great location where it may have been described as something else in the script, but you found this great building or whatever, and you end up sort of making the scene happen in the building despite the description. So it's funny, you know, movies will start off with this and then you evolve and it, and it ends up being that in the end, you know. For instance, on Billie Holiday, we had the the hanging scene, which is a big, obviously, big crucial scene in the movie. Uh, it was described as she gets off the bus and goes into the bushes and she stumbles into a tree where someone's been hung. As part of this, the the location process, we're looking for a great tree. In this case, we found a, one that had a burnt down cabin next to it. It's like, oh, that's kind of cool. Maybe we can say they burnt down the cabin. Another location had a, a standing cabin next to it. And Lee sort of was like, hey, what if she comes across the body and then she can't deal with it and sort of stumbles into the house and this whole thing will happen? I end up buying the burnt down cabin from that location, bringing it over to that location and put the burning cross there and dressed it in. All that came together to make that ultimate set, you know. So, it, that, you know, that's the fun part of for me for design and, and, and things like that can happen. And it wasn't the initial intent, but what, what came out in the end was uh, – was pretty cool. What's it like for you when you work on something that is much more sci-fi? Like you worked on the Maze Runner films. I'm very curious how that is for you to create this post-apocalyptic world. Uh, in those cases, yeah, you're, you're heavily uh, uh, relying on the illustration process. So, you know, if in that case, we went to South Africa, shot the Death Cure, which is the second of the, of the two that I did. You find a location and then you do a little paint over with the Maze Runner, they kind of developed a sort of a, you know, a, a look in the beginning of it. You know, the first one, which I didn't do, we understood what their tech world looked like, you know, beyond the walls, you know. So that kind of was the, you know, you kind of use that and take and move forward with that in terms of the sci-fi or the, the period of it. Uh, and then you just can expand on that. So Scorch Trials, we shot in New Mexico. So you're, you know, we're taking the cues of New Mexico and the sort of the architecture there and painting over and deciding what's CG, what's going to be, you know, in camera. These are all budget-conscious movies, so, you, you know, not everything can just be CG wherever you want it, so you have to be smart about that. And what maybe was an exterior shot, we turn into an interior shot so we can control the space and things like that. But in terms of, uh, you know, the sort of the, the visual and the, the look of the movie, it all comes down to a lot of illustration, uh, you know, in, in talks with the director, uh, and it's, it's a back and forth process, you know, where he, he might say to me, I was really hoping that we could, you know, in this particular part of the city, you know, we show we want to show the depth of the city and the the, the wall surrounding it. And so, you, you know, you start breaking it down that way bit by bit. You sort of build you build your, you know, your look from that. So, it, you know, period versus sci fi sci fi is there's always a lot more investigating going on on the direction we may go in. With period, you, you do have a lot of reference to go by, and everyone out there can do that. So you 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 have to be pretty close to the mark when you're doing those period movies. I'm very curious about the Billy Holiday film. Are you spending a lot of time at the library? Where are you getting your your references from when it comes to that? We were up and running two years prior, 
So I had done my initial research back then, you know, uh, and really got did extensive two weeks worth of research because that was our the period that we were on at that point. When this came back around again, I was already had a huge head start on it. And, and Lee had been talking about it before, you know, six months. He goes, hey, Billy Holiday may be coming back, you know, get your, you know, start getting your head around it. And it happened to work out with my schedule, which is fantastic. So but for me, basically, a lot of Internet pulling some books from the library, if, you know, if it was, you know, if they had the images I was after. Cafe Society was really difficult to find many image, many images of. You know, we, we found like two images that showed the space, but only two walls. So the other two walls, we had to sort of, you know, make up, which is fine. But, you know, you just don't, you don't find it all. Pretty extensive, I'd say, online presence really was the uh, the bulk of it in the end. You know, and then some, we, we brought in, once I got on the movie, we got running, you know, different people come to the table, props, find a great book, and set deck brings in a great book. And then you're like, oh, they had this in costume, et cetera. So it really builds and builds from there. Yeah, I can't even imagine what kind of portfolio you have to keep for a movie of this size and this much of a period film. You probably had, oh boy, 50 boards, you know, but four foot by three foot that had each each subject matter. Because we had a lot of sets in this movie. We had a lot of dressing rooms, a lot of stages, different parts of her life. You know, what looks was she in during all those periods, you know, recording studios, etc. So, yeah, we covered a lot of bases. And we had this big hallway at the office that we just lined with all these these pictures. So anybody who came in, you know, any, anybody new, so to speak, would be hit immediately with the past of Billie Holiday. Once the shooting starts, are they just like, hey, Daniel, thanks a lot. You're no longer needed. Or do you stick around the entire production? Realize that not everything's done in the beginning. So as they are shooting set number one, I'm prepping set number two and onward, you know. So I'm, I'm always just one step ahead of them. You know, we're basically finishing something the day prior to them being there, you know, because a lot of times you don't have the prep at the location that you needed or, or it's only like three days. And that three days is based on the day we shoot and then three days prior, right? So, uh, no, I'm constantly chasing the schedule. And so what I would normally do on a given day is if it's a new set, I end up I, – I show up for the um, the the, uh, the shoot day on that in that case. And I walk the director through it. So they open the set, as they call it. And I talk him through it and uh, hope he's happy. And uh, a couple hours, I wait for the first shot to go off. And then I move on to where I'm where I'm meant to be next. So that's con- that's my constant almost until like the last week of filming. I'm doing that same thing, just chasing the next one, chasing the next one until you're finally there's no more to prep. You know, you're, you're done. So in this case, I think we ended up with Cafe Society, which we had just finished two, three days prior. So the last two weeks of filming, I I had a little more room to hang out you know, near camera and just be around and things like that. So. That's kind of usually how it works. And no, so no, we, we got plenty to do the whole movie until the end, ultimately. What was it like working with Lee Daniels on this? Uh, Lee's great. He, he's, he really lets me do, you know, my, my job, my, my thing, so to speak. And then uh, I show him illustrations as much as I can prior to. And then he just says, OK, cool, run with it. On this movie, which was fantastic, because we, we had design meetings in Lee's office Every two or three days up until we shot in that meeting would be myself, set decorating Elise, Andrew Dunn, the, the photographer, and uh, Paolo, the costume designer. And we'd all sit and talk about what that what that set's going to be and what that scene is going to be and, and what Lee hopes to get out of it. 
And then that's when I would put forward our color palette, drapery, different furniture, props, picture vehicles all come out in that meeting. The big part of that meeting was keying off of what Billy was wearing. So if Billy was wearing a yellow dress in a particular scene, I, I have to know that because I, I'm trying to, you know, key off of that basically, but not challenge that, you know. So that's very important with, you know, with lighting and, uh, you know, what we chose for wallpaper, furnishings, etc. Because we took the time to do that. And not that we don't on most movies, but in this case, it really seemed – I don't know, very comprehensive. We were all together in a room, you know, with nowhere else to go. It really worked well. And we, and then Lee knew what he was walking into most of the time. And then Lee also, he's very of the moment. So he'll walk into a set. I don't even know exactly where everybody may sit or, or stand or walk, whatever. He'll walk in there. He'll see the space. He'll kick us all out, bring in the cast and they basically walk through it for like a half hour and decide what the scene will be. The blocking, you know, like so-and-so will walk from over there and sit here and you'll talk to her and then the camera will be here. This, this kind of thing, you know. So you really don't know exactly what they're going to see on the day until that happens. Uh, and that's kind of every set is that way as much as it can be. Sometimes we don't have many options to go to. But, you know, I may have to change the the chair that they sit in because, you know, either Lee didn't like it or it didn't work well with the blocking. And next thing you know, we're in a panic and we're out shopping for chairs or more flowers or whatever it might be. You know, he wanted a certain photo on the wall. That happened a lot. Um, you know, he wants to see so-and-so on the wall, and we'd have to find a cleared photo, print it, frame it, get it in there within an hour sometimes. You know, it was crazy. And that that's kind of like working with Lee right there. It's He's he's always keeping you keeping you on your toes. You know, it's not in a bad way, but it's he's very reactionary. So he doesn't really know – the feel of the space till he sits in it and stands in it and walks it. And then he, he'll have a little moment of, Hey, I wish I had that there. You know, we try to make it happen. When did you actually shoot this one? We shot it in uh, the latter part of the year of 2019. So I think we wrapped December 15th or something. So, you know, I was in Montreal, this is Montreal, Canada. I think I got there in June or something of 2019. We prep and then shoot and then off we go, you know, uh, so yeah, it's been a it's been a good time in between, and I've been in COVID lockdown. Sort of, I'm I'm on uh, Planet of the Apes at the moment. So when I have these interviews, it's always so completely different, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to ask you as far as how COVID affected you, and if you were able to actually get a jump on your next job. We were meant to be filming Planet of the Apes, the next series of them. Right now, actually, we were we we would have been right in the middle of filming in uh, in New Zealand. But because of all that and everyone was like putting the brakes on, it was like, oh, let's hold this hold on. I've basically been in this sort of development prep for the whole year up until today. I mean, it's still the same. You know, I hope things change in a month and we we understand where we're going, et cetera. But um, it's been really a blessed thing that they've kept me on and uh, been able to continue on through all this without having to worry about where we're going or what my next job is, so to speak, you know. I have to ask you, too, I'm going to be talking about Michael Mann in a few months, and I know that you've worked with him before. How was it working on something like a collateral with him? In that case, I was the art director, so I was, you know, as you know, second in command, as they say. Michael really, uh, you know, I felt really took to me and, um, you know, sort of would, you know, anytime there was a problem, he'd wave me over, which is fantastic. He's intense working with Michael. He, he really knows what he wants. That movie was a lot of nights. 
basically. So it was really tough from that point of view because for in our world, we have to prep during the day and, you know, everything gets built, you know, by construction during the day and all these decisions happen, had to happen during the day. So we had to kind of be on both sides of the fence on that, you know, be around during the shooting at night and then be back in the morning. So that was, that was a tough one from that point of view, just from the pure scheduling of it all. But Michael, when he sat down uh, in one of our big production meetings and Michael sat with the script, laid out the whole movie as he saw it with, you know, the visuals in mind, I was, I was really impressed. I mean, I've never heard somebody go through the whole thing like that in such detail knew exactly what he wanted and the feel that he wanted and you know it was crazy uh, so I, that, that was most impressive and then you have the crazy side of michael which was we had the the main cab which is basically as you see it is orange and yellow we had to do color tests because they shot um, uh, some digital and and film on that movie and so when we were trying to get him, if we were on a particular location, we'd have to scout it at night and then available lights would be what we were hoping to use, you know, street lights, et cetera. When some are yellow, some are green, et cetera. That color tone would play off the co- with the color of the car. So we would have to tweak that color almost live. We literally brought a painter on the day and Michael would say, it's too much orange, guys. I need more. I need more of this. I need more of that. And that guy would run over to the trailer, mix it up, spray it put it on a panel and we show it to Michael. He goes, that's too much orange. Bring it back two notches. It was like, <laughs> I mean, it was, I can't tell you how many paint versions we did for those cabs. And I think we didn't make the decision until like five days before we shot the movie. It was, I mean, I'm talking, this is months of uh, going through this. So that's the kind of uh, detail and care that he, he looks into. It was, uh, it was an, it was an effort. I mean, I learned a lot from him. That's for sure. I have a friend who's an illustrator, and he would talk to me about color theory. I'm sure you probably – that sounds like your life is color theory. Yeah, yeah. And every you know, every film's different. Every person's got a different sort of subjective, you know, sort of feel, taste or take on it, you know. So you're always trying to find it for them, you know. That's 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 kind of the hard part. You're, 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 you're trying to find it for them when they, if they can articulate it. Uh, in this case, Michael can articulate it. He knows what gray he wants on the wall. So, you know, there's – there's not a lot, there's not a lot of ways to go with him. Well, Mr. Dorrance, thank you so much for your time. This was great talking with you. Yeah, you too. Thanks.
If you enjoy this show and want more people to know about it, head on over to iTunes, leave a comment, and rate it five stars. Make sure you like and share us on Facebook, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Just search for Christopher Media. Thank you in advance for supporting Christopher Media by clicking on the PayPal button and by clicking through to all the sponsors who support ChristopherMedia.net. Most importantly, we would like to take the time to extend an extra special thanks to you. Christopher Media could not exist without your support. Thank you for visiting ChristopherMedia.net, and thank you for listening. Christopher Media, let's make some noise.